0: Hello, everyone. Blessings and welcome to Quantum Nurse Freedom International livestream. Um, today, I am most excited because with me are my buddies from all over the world, Steve Fierro, although in Asia, Carl Moore from Ireland, Hartmut from Germany, and Mary from the best estate right now, I think, in United States, Florida. <laughs> And of course, the one and only Alison McDowell, okay? Mm -hmm. (laughs) She for me is not just very humble, um, very compassionate, but when it comes to this topic of cyborg and globalization 4.0, impact investing, capitalism, the special web, she is the master of this topic. I say that because there are so many words that for me are new and like strange and difficult to understand. But when she starts talking about it, she can make it simple for any ordinary person, a human being can understand. And she could bring it down to how these things apply at home, in school, in your profession and globally. And that's why for me, this conversation is crucial. And Alison is my lady when it comes to this, (laughs) okay? (laughs) And you could search her. and just like you and me, she's a mother. She's an ordinary woman. But with that ordinary woman is an extraordinary, I think, a um, memory, an extraordinary when she looks at the white papers. I think she can like telescope every little word, every space, and there is no space that she can, she doesn't see the whole picture. She goes the details and the whole picture. And the best thing that I'd admire with her is she can connect it with relationships. She can connect it with nature. She can connect it. I bet she can connect it to what the squirrels, we can learn from the squirrels, okay? Because the squirrels <laughs> will look into the details, but then she's like, she's like a hawk, an eagle who can see it from above. So that's why it's important that you and I have this, and all of us, in this platform, in this space, in this moment, must listen carefully and feel free to put in your questions and we will bring it to this platform, okay? So thank you so much and welcome and blessings. Thank you, Mary. Um, I keep saying sometimes I call you Mary because one of my dear friends is Mary Allison? So oh yeah, <laughs> you know, And I'm so sorry, but she also passed away already last year. Oh, you I'm know, so nurse. Right. So I keep saying Mary because they're they're both nice names. That well, I they're
1: have. all with us, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's
0: so good. Allison, thank you so much. I think um, since you since you've been doing this, first you've been. Doing this critical thinking and education and advocacy that started from your experience as a mother with your children, but you've been. Then, but then lately, it's much more that you've been working so hard to bring a lot of information since last year. So can you please start? Um, what do you see now? And maybe you just tie it to what the cyborg really means for those who don't know.
1: Yeah, well, so when I came into what was going on um, you know, over the past year, my focus had really been around um, like technological surveillance and how that was going to feed into these financial markets where through the creation of debt instruments like innovative debt, the way they did with the mortgages that they were going to um, global finance, um, you know, really backed by the, the largest, you know, most powerful financiers in the world we're going to restructure human life as debt. And and then even unborn children would be framed through predictive analytics as potential debt commodities, a burdens on society. And they would quantify that, and then they would create a game around it. Um, And it's a very twisted game. Um, And for any normal person, it would not make sense. But if you understand that capital is so uh, concentrated in the hands of such a few players right now, in order for it to keep circulating, they needed to find new games to play. And so that you know, the last crash was the global housing market. And then this next version that they've been building in the interim decade plus has been human capital finance. So when all of this happened last March, I knew that this was a trigger event to roll into this. The new normal was going to be revolving around both the human capital finance and then the shift to uh, the fourth industrial revolution and the pivot to automation and AI and Um, really the next level of globalization that would dispossess many, many more people that they had been calling for years and years, um, white collar jobs, uh, care work, all of these things were going to start to be automated. And so that's what has sort of come into place and what people are starting to wrap their heads around um, as the year has played out and people have become more familiar with the World Economic Forum and Schwab and these various players and how it connects to the sustainable development goals. But when I started, I did not have a very good knowledge of the health sector per se. I had done a little bit of work around behavioral nudging because the University of Pennsylvania Health System and the Jefferson Health System here in Philadelphia are sort of innovators in telehealth and sort of cutting edge sensor technologies and things. But it really only lightly had touched on it. Um, But the more I started digging in, I realized that um, in addition to the sensor networks, which are creating what we'll refer to as the spatial web, essentially the internet coming out of your laptop and your uh, Apple Watch and your iPhone and laying on the land. So the sensors actually become uh, ubiquitous, really, that you become a sensor and you interact with the physical world and it all collects data. And it's almost creating this overlay of the world called mixed reality or augmented reality. But that Ultimately, these people, in addition to making money, were going to extract our data to build a simulation, like a world, like a global simulation, and that this was going to happen through the next phase of the telecommunications infrastructure was not just 5G, but is already they're they're positioning 6G and 7G, I think up to 10G. Like they're they're layering in this essentially suppression of. The natural world, the natural energetic systems, and overlaying it with the mechanized version that, to my mind, is, you know, and Tom Cowan talks about it the shift from like a wa- water based life form to a silicon based life form, and that we are like putting life on a chip, <laughs> essentially. But to get there, the entire world has to be coded as this I call it like a prison planet, but like really literally with sensor networks. There's a specific apparatus. This is not just a vague term of like vague digital slavery, there's a very specific architecture to it that involves sensor networks, the telecommunications, the satellites and digital identity and biosensors increasingly. So right now our tr- tracking devices, is our phone, eventually they'll, they'll have more and more wearable technology and then eventually, um, you know, the, the goal is real time biosensors through graphene and the, the hydrogel stuff that other people have spoken about in much more detail. Um, So yeah, so when I all came into this, like I knew the technology, I knew the the human capital finance, I knew poverty management, I did not realize that the goal was to digitally twin the world and push us almost essentially into a militarized parallel universe uh, where they could manage us as essentially avatars, like, you know, playable game characters. And this cyborg shift that we're talking about that's going to be happening increasingly as our bodies become colonized by technology is not simply the colonization of our physical body, but the replication of us in digital space as avatars. So the cybernetics is not simply just that like you might have a sensor or you might be forced because you're poor to walk around in a smart shirt and smart shoes and harvest your piezoelectric energy, but that literally there'll be a parallel version of you that the capitalist systems are also creating profit from that are completely virtualized. And that the health system specifically you know, all of this is dual use, all of it is sort of coded, there's the there's the professed intention, and then there's the underlying intention. So the EU is working on something called digit twins, where they're saying, like, we're going to model your body electronically, just so we can model like pharmaceutical or medical interventions against you and your genomic sequence, right. And they're not going to say we're going to model your body so that we can put you into a virtual world. But the, the, the leader in that is your Um, electronic health record, essentially, your electronic health record tied to a digital identity system. So that's kind of a lot, but that's sort of where I'm at. And and there are many people who've done far more work on the specifics. I have a friend who has done a great series for a blog called A Piece of Mindful. Uh, She blogs at Steffers and she actually just came up with a really wonderful piece that's got a lot of traction about um, confessions of a engineered nanoparticle. So really, especially now as we're examining what is going on in the virology space and navigating, I think there's a lot of counter like questions about establishment narratives around virology and counter narratives that might actually reinforce the control of the, the virology establishment. Um, that. More and more people really need to be looking into the synthetic biology element, the environmental toxicity element, which is a key part of the fourth industrial revolution. Synthetic biology is one of the central features, in addition to like the AI and the robotics, is the synthetic bio. And Alana Freeland, she's supposed to be coming out with her book on transhumanism too. So, and Sophia Smallstorm, there's other people who've been working more in like the transhumanist bio nano speaks. But I link it to the money. I link it to the the financial markets. That's kind of my niche.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Alison. I still remember the time when I used to work in the hospital setting. And when they transitioned health records, nursing documents from manually writing to electronic recordings. And it took us a while to really get used to it. And at first, we had a resistance that later on I said, oh, this is kind of convenient. However, we see also that there's a weakness to that recording because many times we just do a checklist of all the symptoms or situations. We're not even able to fully express already what our our observation, our objective observation in our own words. So, um, and the, the worst part of that, Alison, is he was taking away from our actual service, from our direct hands on, because we ha- we were rated or we were assessed on how good we can document as a nurse. Then of course I thought, well, wow, this is nice that that, that any doctor from in another city or maybe another country may have the access to someone's record. Because one of the flaws before of the healthcare system is the doctors don't speak to each other. There's so many specializations. Mm-hmm. So when the so then everyone has their own opinion but they don't talk to each other. So I guess that separation already made it accessible for AI to come up with the system and so we thought it was good not knowing that okay there's more to it than just putting the information together for the someone's Good health. So, can you speak what's what might be or what is going on now in terms of that impact with, you know, what's going on with the seniors, with the elders, okay, and how they they can use that for um, further um, impact uh, for further um, monetization or investing.
1: Well, so essentially. these human capital markets are aligned with the sustainable development goals. So, health is goal number three. All right. And when I started to look into it for education, before all of this even happened, education is number four. What I saw was that they were pushing digital technologies. You know, that education had to be through ICT, individual communication technologies, not even laptops, like phones and tablets. They were, you know, and I, I've, I've given talks before. There was like a little boy, and he would sit, he's like a four year old. In a, in a meadow on a hill of dirt, looking at a phone. And they're like, you know, we're not gonna build schools for these kids. We're just gonna give them a phone or a VR headset. And then we're gonna disconnect them from the world and have them sit in the world, but they're not gonna be of the world through these technologies. And the, the pivot was not simply to sell the technology or the cloud services. It was to get the data analytics, the responsive data analytics on all of these individuals, both for the twinning simulations and the financial markets. The same thing was in place with the health and that's what we've seen in the shift to telehealth, telemedicine, teletherapy um, in all of these spaces and that you know I'm still sort of struggling with like I'm not of the medical community if people working in mainstream medical establishments understand what's coming. I mean that this world you know economic forum is sort of implying that you know, telehealth is permanent, (laughs) like you're not gonna have access to doctors. I mean, they're almost getting to the point of sort of talking about like, you know, in-home biohacking, I mean, these crazy things. And I, I think ultimately there is a depopulation element to it and especially among older, the older population is there's an economic imperative that they don't wanna pay out pensions to people, right? Like they don't actually have the money to cover all of the debt obligations. And so if they can, Provide medical care that actually is subpar care that hastens people's transition to you know out of this life. Then that there's a financial incentive for that. And I think what's so terrible is that the the no one goes into healthcare. I mean, I think most people go because they care about people, right? They especially you know frontline staff they they care about healing people. They're not necessarily there just to make money or to have power or prestige. And so, but they're roped into it as well. I mean, I'm sure all of the regulations, as you mentioned, like the electronic data requirements. So this electronic health record will be used to, again, it's always dual purpose. They'll say, yes, it's so super efficient. Look, you can just open and you'll have all of your records and your things in one place. But then the question is in this, shift to the fourth industrial revolution, which they have said outright, their plan is to have a post-human world, right? This Japan moonshot paper, the Japan science and technology paper saying by 2050, we will exist outside of physical minds and bodies in time and space. So the most powerful people in the world are already imagining that we will live outside of our physical bodies, that our physical bodies will be, you know, harvestable as data to transition to this know, I don't know if they imagine it as an evolutionary leap to be this silicon cybernetic thing. I mean, I, I it's hard to get in that headspace. But having a robust physical body that is free and energetic and engaged is counter to that narrative. Right. They want us to walk away from our bodies. That is the, the goal. So the entire health system as it is structured as a capitalist market. Can only serve to degrade the physical body in advance this program there's there is not a dis an incentive to to heal people i mean over the long term you will manage people you will manage care but my sense is that the regulations that the insurance companies that the pharmaceutical companies will be pivoting towards long-term chronic illness but at the same time the impact markets will be pushing preventative care. So the impact markets for human capital finance and all the insurance companies are going to be saying, you have to take care of your health, everyone. And and it makes sense, right? You would want people to take care, like eat good food and get exercise. But structurally, most of the world isn't set up for large swaths of the population to have that. They don't. They live in food deserts. They work three jobs. They're homeless. You know, they're not in a good position of maintaining their health. And yet these investment financial markets will be set up to use wearable technology to put people on pathways of wellness and give them a laundry list of tasks that they have to do that they're expected to do to maintain their health and my my position is that increasingly with the telecom infrastructure and the nanotech and the biotech and the environments that we are going to be poisoning people and creating conditions of chronic illness that people will not be able to prevent like they, they can exercise all they want, they can eat all the leafy greens they want, they can maybe detox a little bit, but if you're frying people with like EMF waves, they're not gonna be able to actually make themselves better. But you're not gonna tell them that that's what's happening to them. You're gonna, te- you're gonna put the responsibility on them to do it and you're going to track their compliance with the medical protocol against their electronic health record. So it's gonna be much more than just, I came into the office and I had this procedure and I have these billing codes and I have this prescription all on my, my record, it's going to be, we know what time you got out of bed, we know when you toileted yourself, we know what was in your smart refrigerator, we know if you did your step count, and that is going to be where the Internet of Bodies goes, if we don't refuse that. And and that's what I'm trying to figure out within the medical establishment, do people get that that is the plan?
0: That's really horrible. Um, I still remember the time when my son was still young, and I never, I did I made sure that he didn't get his computer early. You know, he only got it, I think, when he was in middle school, and then plus the phone and all that. And yet nowadays it seems like it's even pushed because what uh, what's the computers are either free or inexpensive, or on the iPads, and then plus they earn some tokens and they get all their free games. So with, with, with what's going on with, with the adults, how, what's the future of our children? Will it be worse than what we are experiencing now?
1: Well, they, I mean, my, my, my sense is that they want the children to grow up not understanding what it's like to live in the real world, like are to be alienated, both alienated from their bodies, alienated from social relations and alienated from the outside world. Um, and especially the young the young children, like the toddlers on that, because this this time frame is sort of 2030, 20, 2050, 20, right? So today's, you know, the children who are born today will be, you know, middle-aged adults by 2050. And so they don't want the resistance. They want the slow slide into, well, like, okay, I guess this is what the world is. Like, you know, put on my haptic suit and let's go visit, you know, grandma in Brazil or something, you know, like that's what they want to be normalized for them. And increasingly, a lot of the the digital control mechanisms are not simply around physical health, but mental health is a huge part of this. And I think the mental health data collection, um, and it's framed in the school settings as concern over mental health, which is, I'm not dismissing that as a concern, but I am dismissing the way in which surveillance and data analytics will be rolled out on vulnerable populations, especially children. especially in in the U.S. where the the privacy rights have been waived in educational settings, but in that there are markets in behavior change, managing behavior change. But increasingly that the data, the data sets on this, the emotional data sets, I feel very strongly are going to be catalyzed for AI machine learning to humanize the machines. You know, I I think that the social robots, which are really big in Japan, are not simply to provide companionship to elders in nursing homes, but is actually and, and these, you know, robot dolls for toddlers to teach them their letters. The I think the machines are learning us. And so increasingly the mental health and emotional state research and the brain research there's this dual purpose right and so they they say that it's one thing and it may somewhat be that it's not that it's not that at all but then there's this underlying collection of where does that data go once those data sets are established and we know that you know if you look at this moonshot paper like really intense um discussions about soft robotics and muscle tissue and i mean they're really getting um i would there's there's a conference it was like the augmented Human International Conference that I came across yesterday, they've been meeting since 2010. They've been meeting for like 10 years. And every single bit of data analytics they can get out of you, like they're engineering papers to figure it out. They're like, we're going to tracking your chewing. We're going to have a smart utensil that we know how you eat. Like, it's almost like you, you literally are trapped in this overlay where everything is captured about you, said so that they can replicate it but it will never replicate true life. And that's why, you know, for for me, I come at this from a place of spirit, like in the children, if we're not willing to stand up, it's one thing for adults to make a decision to move into this reality. It's a totally other thing for children and especially even children that haven't come into the world yet that are not even born, that if we succumb to this without question, without questioning the ethics, those decisions are gonna reverberate for everybody after us forever.
0: Thank you. And this will be my last question because I know I there's so many questions all the time, whatever listening to you. But since you mentioned about the children and who and um, at one point or many times I think you heard you mentioned about there are some unborn children already who are in the blockchain. Now when and and blockchain seemed to be like a buzzword among many people right now is blockchain going to be part of the solution or will it be part of the problem
1: well my my, my position is well one it doesn't just show up in the, the the moments after the last housing crash under an anonymous name and like it wasn't meant to be there it's that it's there for a certain purpose right and so it, in my opinion it was meant to provide the gliding ramp for the central bank digital currency. And but it's not just the currency and that's the, the crypto that everyone talks about, sort of this gold rush, but it is a ledger system. It is it is central to the digital twinning program. So this ledger um, that is set up and you had mentioned the unborn children. So the first baby was born on blockchain in 2018 in Tanzania. And a lot of this is coming through global aid systems. And so they assigned a unique identifier. To an unborn child and their mother, and like their healthcare provider, and tracked you know proper pregnancy behavior through that, um, through that pregnancy, and then the baby was born essentially onto blockchain. And so, their um, essentially status as human capital was already predefined by their parents' their mother's um compliance to whatever the global medical apparatus was set up around her, right? And and depending on If that's, you know, there there are many ways of working with pregnant women, right? And some of them are mainstream, maybe, you know, medical and some are more holistic. And there's a range, right, of how that is. So um, their compliance to whatever situation that they were put in is already tracked. So when that baby is born, they already have that history, like, accompanying them. And so to me, you know, that's when Tom Cowan, when he talks about the shift between water beings and silicon beings is that, water like takes in like information and and manif like grows like it evolves but silicon only aggregates and so i think these digital twins these silicon twins are just meant to be aggregations of data analytics that you never escape from it right like you can never have a transformative experience you can never be you know maybe you're a child in an abusive household or you you have difficulty but then you overcome it and somehow you've come out and you've been transformed into a another state of being no on the blockchain that record tracks you forever you never get away from that record and some of that record like i said if you're on you know tracking the unborn it's with you before it's not even anything you had control over you know you don't get to pick your parents you know and so to me that is is a really there are huge and profound ethical implications of what it means to turn someone's life into a system of ledger-based transactions and then increasingly within this spatial web that we're talking about augmented reality is that when you layer in Ethereum smart contracts that your basic human rights to live in a physical environment become mediated by sensor-based contracts and what, what I'm saying is like if you have a biosensor that somehow pings that there's data about your health status is determined by a sensor that that triggers some alert, you might not be able to leave your house, right? Mm -hmm. Or say your biosensor has a certain thing about somehow your body is responding. It might decide you've eaten enough. And you don't get any food, you know, for the next ten hours. Your refrigerator doesn't open, or your water doesn't turn on. Or, you know, there are smart technologies um, that are coded, and this coding is often racialized, and there's a power dynamic, and then there's a capitalist imperative because once you build a world where profit is driven by data, you're only going to want more and more, more and more and more data, and it's not in our control. We're not in control of this data. This data is being managed by the military. It's being managed by Google Alphabet. It's being managed by um, you know propaganda media components. Like we don't actually, and it, it's it's managed in ways that we are not. We don't. We can. We'll probably never know. And so, to me, living on a ledger is hugely problematic because we're not in control. As much as they would like to frame it as liberation and that you can just be your own brand and you can, you know, curate your own self, I think that's disingenuous, in my opinion. And, it, it, and I don't think that people are doing the topic justice. People who don't talk both sides are not doing this topic justice, who are only talking one side of it because there's an equal side that is, is very has very dark implications.
0: Thank you so much. You have enlightened us in um, many ways already, but I'll pass it on to Hartmut, I think, Hartmut.
2: Alison, <laughs> thank you so much for this information already. It's um... This is, let's say, 100 percent the subject which I also deal with. And um, and for example, we have in Germany, we have uh, an alternative um, scientist whose whose name is Harald Kautzweller. And he talked already about the um, uh, the system which is uh, uh, which was developed at the Purdue University. Uh, This was this um, uh, the synthetic environment for analysis analysis and simulation the c yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh, he exp- he said and he made a very interesting statement he said this is establishing a complete world of us and if so we get an avatar in this sentinel world and then they can then they can make your calculation how we will develop us in the future. And if this does not fit in their program by 5G and by hydrogel, yeah, in that moment, they train the avatar and then this behavior of the avatar in the sentient world will be transferred by 5G to my physical body. Yeah, and this is, this is, um. How he said it, and this interesting thing is, uh, with this hydrogel, which um, where we get connected to five um, G and six G, and or to the digital world, we lose the access to our heart or to our soul. Yeah. And in that moment, we don't know what is right and what is wrong. And this is uh, a state of a narciss- narcissist. And the highest form of a narcissist is um, is uh, a murder. And interesting, because I thought a lot about this, there is the movie *Purge*, which came out 2013-2014. Anarchy. And interesting, this movie plays in the in the future in the in March 2023. And *Anarchy* uh, and *Purge* means. Uh, that the new founding fathers have created uh, or have allowed one night where all crime is legal including murder yeah. and this is a society of psychopaths so that this is a regulated system of psychopath and this is um, and also the mental health what you discussed if you want to if you want to... Um, Let's say it this way: there was there was the big guy who said, "I want to get the injection in seven billion people." Yeah. <laughs> so, what what is if someone wants that I do something? So there are two things what he has to do. First of all, he has to make it sure that I'm dependent on him. And secondly, he has to destroy my free will, which is non-touching torture and this is what is happening at the moment and um and uh yeah (laughs) this is my comment (laughs) to your comment (laughs) maybe you have a comment on my comment.
1: (laughs) yeah well i feel like it does it feels like a it's very difficult to navigate the space, I think, because yeah. I think this, I, I sort of have framed it as like a predator energy, because I, I think what I try to do is do my best at telling the truth as I see it and being moral without being partisan and to try to bridge, because I do think that most people are good. <laughs> you know, I think yeah. that, I think that, People are being manipulated and misguided, but that we if that there is a chance to model care for the world and to bring people together. I think we have much more in common that we don't have in common. And I, I I just I put out on Twitter just now, I said, you know, for us to go up against this system, which is so much bigger than any one pandemic, right? It is is this transhumanist, it's this pivot into some a forced militarized compulsion into a, you know, psychopathic um, new reality, right? For us to stand in this, um, we have to stand together. We have to find ways of standing together in print on a, from a principled standpoint and from a place of care for not only our fellow humans but the natural world itself. Because this, like, I just want to be very clear, like this moonshot project that they're talking about, the cybernetics, that's animals and plants. I mean, it's everything, right? And so we we often focus on the human side of things, but I try to, I, I, I've, I've gotten a lot of teaching of indigenous people and understanding like right relationship and our responsibilities in this web of relationships. So we need to be standing for the, the beings in the world that don't even even know that this is happening, right? Like if if we know that the synthetic biology people are aiming to, you know, remove all of the pollinators and replace them with robo bees or something. Like, some, somebody has to say something. And so I feel like, and, and, and we have to, to find a way to say it that is opens doors for people to come in, right? That, that tries to dispel, transmute. The psychopath, that is what they've cultivated this past year. You know, I've always known that the impact markets, they run on trauma. What, what these these markets of social impact investing require is poverty and trauma. And if they're making money on it, it just it's grows that market. I've, I've known that for a long time, but I've realized that I think a lot of it is energetic, a lot of it's frequency, a lot of it is like, if you can keep people in an angry state, in a fearful state, in a state in which the rest of humanity is, you know, it's us or them, you're constantly trying to decide you know, when you encounter people who side that they're on and like categorize them in certain ways that really advances this Davos program. And so as much as I'm incredibly fearful of and I don't in any way underestimate the powers that are behind this transformation, I don't really think that it's supposed to end. <laughs> I mean, sure. I, I'm coming from like I don't, sure. I, I don't have a lot of faith in institutions, like the religious institutions, because I feel like that across the board, the institutions have been corrupted. But I think people of faith in accessing a, this larger consciousness, the Creator, this larger presence, is that like maybe this is our test. Maybe this is not it's you know, I've had kind of a tr- difficult few weeks, and um, you know, I went out in the park the other day, and I. I you know and i actually brought a bible i'm not super religious but in you know as much as i appreciate indigenous pra- like I'm not trying to be appropriative so i'm like okay well i'll get the bible i'll do the wasp thing whatever you know you know and I like open it up and i'm like well what's what i'll just open it up or whatever and it's job right and i'm like really job i get the job and you know and i'm looking through but it's like you know and i'm you know at the end you know they lose everything but then it it you know it comes you have to have this faith that it comes at the end and you know, I have a good friend who's who's very spiritual and does sort of visionary work. And he's like, Allison, it's all good. the valley of love is at the end of this. Like we might have to walk through the zombie apocalypse, but that valley of love is out there. It's already done. Like we've already won this thing, but we have to get there. We actually have to get through it. And so to me, that is this test. Right. Can you do you have the fortitude to face to stare at? The psychopath element of this, right? And what I've realized is that a lot of people don't, and I can't blame them for not. I can't say that they're bad or weak or less than because they can't look at it. But we need to find the people who can, um, you know. And that's when, like, I I remember the documentary about James Baldwin, "I Am Not Your Negro," and they talk about him coming back from Paris in the civil rights struggle, and um, he was the witness. He said, you know, like different people had different roles, but he was the witness to this struggle. Like he was there to document and and be the one. And, and not that I'm, you know, putting myself on that level at all, but some of us have to both witness, be the witness and be the ones who say no. And it's not gonna be everyone. And and as much as it would hurt us that that the people that we care about or we love or our friends or the people that we thought would stand with us can't or don't have that capacity. I think it doesn't let off off the hook, and that's like my build moment. I keep having people like Tom had a lovely piece recently about Plato's cave. You know, I'm telling you know like my husband. I'm like, I left the cave. I didn't really know at the time that I was leaving the cave, but I left. The, I, I left. I came out. Now, I, if I go back in, it's not the same. Like I'm not. It's my eyes. They don't work the same. And and I don't know if I had known what was like that I was on my way out of the cave and someone said, like, hey, are you sure you want to leave the cave? And like maybe I would have slowed down a little bit, but I didn't. So there you go. Like some of us are out of the cave and we have to we have to look at it. And and I think that's where the love part comes in, even though it's not easy. I think that's where the forgiveness and the faith part comes in. And I don't I don't know exactly how to do all that. But to me, that feels right. Like that, a love for one another and for the natural world.
2: Yeah, I agree 100%. And, and uh, I, the what I described is only, let's say, their vision and their intention. It, but on the other hand, their time frame was 2045, 2050. Now they have to reduce it to 2020, 2025 or 2030 because of the rising consciousness of the people yeah and the, and the and the and the people who doesn't want to um, uh, who doesn't want to do this and for this reason they have they know that they are lose they are on the losing track because the consciousness is rising much faster than they thought that they would have time
1: and this is well, and like a mystical piece, too. I don't know if you've heard me talk a little bit about like Kelpius, Johannes Kelpius and Jacob Zimmerman. Is it in Burma? Nope. Like this Christian mystics. So in Philadelphia in the 1690s, which is early for us here, um, this group of 40 monks came from Silesia, and, and they, they came to wait for the end of the world. They were a millenarian cult. And they came outside of Philadelphia to wait for the woman in the wilderness. And this cave is still like out in the park, it's in the park system. And from the, they were some of the earliest hymns, they did very interesting choral singing and they were astronomers and they were alchemists. But they talked about alchemy being the transmutation of souls. It wasn't gold, it was the soul. And so, and it's very interesting because outside of this cave, um, the Rosicrucians put this big monument, like claiming him, Kelpius, as this Rosicrucian. But on the side of this granite monu- marker, on the side it says Nephili, which is a—it's this Greek myth of this cloud goddess and Ixion and the centaurs and the cyborgs. But Nepheli is actually the NIH's program for the microbiome mapping. And someone wrote that on the side of the marker. And like here in Philadelphia, we're the center of the CRISPR human genome trials. So there's this very strange blending of like, I think this mysticism, and I think maybe that's what it gets around the organized religion piece, that it's people's direct connection to source, not necessarily mediated through an institution, but with the science, right? It's, you know, going, thinking back to that time where faith and science and alchemy and all of these things were much more fluid, right? And and the scientism moment, is just like making this hard break, like, nope, if it's not this, it's not science. And you're, you know, off with your head if you don't you know, follow the, the rules, so.
3: Brilliant. No, uh,
2: thank you so much, <laughs> I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. And I pass to Mary. Thank
3: you so much. Yeah.
4: yeah. And maybe going back a little bit to, um, you talked about like the change where we're going to collect all the data and making a second cell for a, a replication. I might not be saying it right. Um, but if be curious if you could explain that a little bit more exactly what you mean, like a, the second self. I mean, it doesn't sound like it's, we're talking about a literal clone here. It's more of an artificial consciousness. Yeah,
1: so, um, and I guess it depends on like what you mean in terms of like like life, right? Um, so much of this seems to be, here, I'll, let me see. I have this book that I've been reading. It'll probably be backwards. This, it's called The Many Worlds of Hugh Everett III. He was a Princeton great. Um, he was a physicist and in the Cold War era. And so he was a key person in game theory and decision theory. And so what I'm realizing is that this Cold War really developed very sophisticated ana- like modeling analyses. And, and these modeling analyses were not just used for like nuclear warfare, but also like I'm sure the same systems are used in public health, you know, like pandemic preparedness and all these, the same type of um, modeling systems. And so what is real and what is not real? Is the model real? And I think again, that's something that like Tom has brought up around um, uh, the like models of viruses, right? If you take something that is a collection of fragments and you, you have a computer model that pieces it together. And yet in the real world, it is non-extant. Like you don't have the real version, but you do have a computer model of it. Which one is real? Part of it depends on what you can make people think is real, right? <laughs> you know, at this point we have certain things What there are computer models where they're not in the physical world, but you say, oh, but it's real because we have the model of it. So I think we're pivoting now towards Reality being what you can simulate in a model environment, and within this virtual reality, a lot of it is actually interfacing with um, military simulation. Which, if you're in Florida, like that is a center center for it. Orlando is a key area, and it, it interfaces with the video game industry. So, I have a friend, um, Joseph Gonzalez, who's like a 30 year. He's a combat vet and is has a has a very long career in uh, artificial intelligence, game design, uh, blockchain, AI, all sorts of things. And um, and he's been fighting this. And we did a, a three-hour webinar on, on mixed reality. And and he's like, Allison, it's like a revolving door between the military simulation industry and the video game industry. And so, like, if you look at Epic Games, which is in the Research Triangle in North Carolina, like, there's lots of fluidity between the simulation worlds and um the video game worlds. And so there's a really interesting book by Cory Doctorow. It's actually for like young adults, but it's very readable. I highly recommend it. It's called For the Win. And it talks about crypto economics and the melding of real life and virtual life. That this, like the idea is there's a young kid in California and he's in one of these, you know, is it masks of multiplayer online role-playing games or whatever? And he would like stay up late into the night, I guess like some of you, and like play with his friends in China, right? But they wouldn't play in their physical bodies. They would be playing as characters in these game environments and they would be creating like capital markets and earning game, like earning earning stuff, right? Or getting physical objects, digital items in these gaming spaces. But then ultimately that it talked about organizing against like global financial capital and like labor organizing in the real world. So this person both lived as a gaming character and had a physical body and was sort of both. And so I think increasingly, this idea of um, simulated cybernetic worlds is that they will mine our data to make increasingly granular, more sophisticated models of ourselves, right? If you can imagine that maybe your cyborg avatar Exists in cyberspace, but it's not as robustly developed. And the more data you feed it, the more granularity, like the more crisp the detail gets. Right, the more realistic the, the experience gets. Um, as your sort of your your beingness gets siphoned and pushed into the the virtual realm, and so it's like building it out so from an armature to something that's more and more real. And I think they want us to act as avatars. In fact, there's something called Ready Player Me. Ready Player ME, where they literally talk about creating selfie based avatars that people like the tagline is that you people will emotionally connect with and love. So it's cartoonifying yourself as something, but you're cartoonifying yourself in a way that you want people to emotionally engage with that thing that exists in that virtual world. Um, so I don't know. Black Mirror like is is a lot of predictive programming for this. There there was one episode I have it, like they were so disturbing I didn't watch a lot of them. But early on there was one whose there's this person's partner died in a car crash and they had the option of like collecting all of the sentiment analysis of their social media profile and creating like a chat bot, right? So this person was mourning and like they had a virtual simulated presence that they could talk to this person even though they were dead. And then eventually I think they could upgrade to. Like a robot version, <laughs> you know, like that was the upgrade was to the physical presence, but that your digital dust leaves so much, um, so many trails that that they can kind of make best guesses about replicating you and your behavior. I mean, they always say that, right? They know more about you than you know about you. Um, and and that's the thing that's so insidious is when you put that on children, because you know I had noticed that even you know three or four years ago in the education work I was doing, they were creating. Um, like avatars to mentor kids on online learning programs. And then they were also creating um, classroom behavior management systems where children would represent themselves as an avatar. And then through good behavior points, they could earn things for their avatar. They could earn outfits or accessories or various things that were not real. They were not physically present, but they, were, they became um, ways of branding oneself and having digital consumption in the virtual world
4: right and speaking of they know more about you than you do yourself you know i'll get a message on my phone oh your screen time was up or down about since last week i mean, I, I don't remember asking to have that recorded <laughs> i know exactly <laughs> yeah and so i mean for someone you know who wants to you know go out outside and you know experience in the sunshine or go to the beach or have you know what i would call this really real concrete you know is there any avoiding like all of this or what, you know, what can the people do who don't want to move into this um, alternate system?
1: Well, that's why I think we have to interrogate it, because, I mean, a key piece of this, there's one thing I'm in a smart city. Right. I have 5G on either end of my block. Um, But. There's the satellites, even if you try to get away from them, right? You try to go to some remote location, the satellite networks, many of which, again, are launching from Florida, Central Florida, are up there. And even early in um, early last spring, in the Harvard Business Review, there was an op-ed with folks from Gabi. And they were saying that they were going to that, you know, distribution of vaccines was an equity issue and that they had advocated for using a company called MacroEyes to track children in Africa from space to predict vaccine uptake, right? And so at that point it's very clear what their capacities are like we know the capacities of surveillance satellites down to like now they're talking about like they can get it within you know 12 inches of you right of this stuff so I think I, I'm not willing to give in and say, this is OK. Um, so I'm going to contest it all. I'm going to contest it all on the, the grounds of that we don't want to live in a silicon-based universe and that we deserve to be natural beings in communion with other natural beings, and that this system of technology that's being advanced is a, is a military apparatus, and that ultimately, in my heart, I feel what's needed is a global peace movement. Against AI, and you know that's 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 my framing is that this is not simply about one public health event. This is about a transformation that's being done against the will of most people, against the knowledge, against informed consent. That has repercussions beyond humanity to all of the natural world, and um, those of us who have the strength to understand that have to say it, because maybe that's the. Um, that's where we've been put. We've been put in this moment to say it, and that's the test: will we sit, will we stand, or will we not stand? And you know, and not everybody can. You know, I'm I'm in my early fifties, and I don't want to live as a cyborg. So, um, you know, I can't say that the choice that I make is the same choice that you would, you know, make if you were twenty. Um, you know, if you had to try to figure out how to fit your life into this new thing
4: and look, <laughs> yeah, looking at the the end game and where they want to get to besides you know everything that, that you laid out and maybe getting into some of the spiritual implications or what ways do you see it as the the ultimate goal and uh, agenda and the drive behind all these things
1: you know i used to think before all of this that it was money right but these people have all the money. Like they can't ever spend all the money they have. I think really it is this power to enact a new a new vision. And I, I think I think it's a profanity. I think some of it is I think some of it is an action of of profane forces. Um, and you know, I didn't come at this thinking this like a year ago. But I, I do think that um, you know when you find out that Michael Bloomberg, you know, built his uh, Europe, EU European offices in London on the the ruins of a Mithric temple, you know, there's stuff going on here, and I don't go there the first place. There are people who are far more sophisticated in sort of these fraternal orders and these histories um, than I am. But it's bigger than simply financial markets. It's it's bigger than that. That is a mechanism, and that is. It, I think that the financial markets increasingly are a tool of the data extraction purpose and enable th- this shift. But um, it's not just about money. I think it's about enacting a, a dark program, <laughs> which is you know I never thought. Like I said, I I just thought I was fighting school closures and standardized testing. You know, four years ago. But it's it's hard once you see these things. I mean everybody's talking about the wrong stuff right like even in this moment I'm increasingly the last two or three years I mean two years two or three months really the whole um, the nanotechnology Philadelphia um, University of Pennsylvania has is part of the National nanotechnology initiative um, who out there in the mainstream media is talking about nanotech right who out there is talking about nanotubes and um, you know the nanoelectronics? and you know I all you have to do is go to the Georgia Tech, uh, tech transfer licensing site or the augmented human, you know, international conference sites and look at those two sites and start browsing through, people are building this stuff. Now, whether they can scale it, whether it actually works or some of it is hot air, like I don't have the the scientific wherewithal to assess how, how much of it is accurate and how much of it is just blowing smoke, but there is more money than you can ever imagine going into military R&D. Um, that is anti-life program. And they want us to, to imagine each other as the enemy, um, to pit people against each other. I mean, at this point, I have people that I care about who have made medical choices that are not the choices that I would make. Am I going to write those people off? No. I'm not going to write those people off. Because you know what? It's going to take all of us to look at this thing. And um, if we want to sort of sit back and judge or cut people out I don't think I think that's what that's what they want us to do.
4: Thanks, Alison. El- sure. Yeah, I'll
3: pass it to to Carl here. Hi, listen, <clears throat> I was meant Carl. to be up first. So I've been waiting here. I have so many questions. <clears throat> so I'm I've written a whole bunch of things. Um, for a long time, um, I mean, I'm a scientist, I worked in science, and I started off in oceanography, looking at, you know, the water, and there were satellites, remote sensing, this would be a great way to help humanity track pollution and stuff. And, uh, well, I'm just kind of ranting here a bit, but um, uh, my last job, um, it was in the same area, and they were, the projects were called Digital Ocean, and that just turned my stomach and I made me realize that everything, all this information that we're collecting and calibrating is to be used to teach the AI. I think so. And then I had I did other jobs like where I was doing like EMF testing and I go around and I was looking for a bit of software to be able to go and measure the dimensions of the rooms in the house. And there was loads of these, this is a few years ago, loads of these uh, apps you could download. And you you just get your phone and you look around the room and it could measure things. But all this stuff would be done in the cloud. So the whole inside space of your house is up in the cloud. Yeah. Then they're taking you up in the cloud with every little thing you do. And so they're creating a facsimile of the real world that looks the same. Our feels the same, but it has no God. It has no spirit. And we were not humans because this will be a slow, gradual thing that when you were saying things like, you know, oh, you know, we won't be able to go outside because we tested negatively for this. We won't care because we'll be so far down the line of being, you know, all this stuff all over us, monitoring and sensing. We won't be human. It'll be a gradual pulling our souls out. This is something I felt very strongly about for a long time, yeah. and I suppose I ask this kind of question sometimes. Um, in the future, uh, and we become these facsimiles, uh, can we get high? Meaning, I don't mean just you know drugs, yeah. recreational drugs, but the the joy, the spirit, the upwelling, that sense of connection to God. Um, I live in the country, well, not right now, I'm in in Dublin right now, and I just drove across the country, and I looked at the trees that were just coming into bloom, these birch trees, and I'd look at them, and I could feel the energy just by looking. And then I looked at another tree, and it was a different flavor. And I'm going, don't try to translate it. This is a language beyond words. This is the way we're made, but we've been so programmed up here. So, I mean, I can go on and on, but... um, do I have a question? Um, maybe maybe a couple of more points. Um, you mentioned that this thing can go on without end forever and ever. You know, They don't have a, uh, um, when does it end? When they have everybody captured? When they have everybody in their control? Uh, it, it keeps on going. They don't have an end planned because they're parasitical in nature.
1: That's yeah, parasitic.
3: We have to call the end. And what people forget is that we're much stronger because while we're talking all this advancing technology coming up and every day I get up and I read something, like, oh Jesus, it's like worse than my... We have a thing called spirit. We are, you know, come from source. We're the natural evolution. Well, some people could argue with the Anunnaki coming in and stuff, but we have this resource that we can tap into. Which would obliterate because people say, like like David Icke would say, like, you know, if people just don't comply, this would all end tomorrow. I mean, that's just in a very simple power. We hold the power. And I think what I'm trying to do is it's also a transformative period, this COVID thing. And so I'm trying to see it play against the negativity by saying, This is forcing me, our humanity, to realize who they really are, to snap out of the this thing where we always need something outside to make us whole. And it's to realize that no, we have to dispense with all this. Because I've been looking away to get away from from all this kind of stuff. And I say, what is it that I got? Maybe I can become a Breatharian where I don't have to eat. Or maybe become a hermit or you know. But I said, No, I have spirit. I I I'm connected. I, I'm not worried. I'm going to go full, full speed uh to be human. And I think it's to really become. Truly human, no, not necessarily what's on TV, but that really deep spiritual stuff. Oh, I have a question. Do you think this has happened before? Do you think this happens regularly? This because you talked about the centaurs, and you know, people talk about genetic manipulation in the past, and all this. So, do you think this is
1: well? Part of me wonders about the parallel realities. I mean, I think that's um. There's a book that I read in elementary school called A Wrinkle in Time. It's Madeline L'Engle and from the mid 70s and like the father was a physicist and he was law he was trapped and um, the the young the, the girl and her younger brother, you know, they travel across these dimensions, right? And and they end up at this place um Chemazotz, I think. That's IT. It's a technocracy. It's a tit and and like the brother becomes trapped by this IT really, right? You know. And um, and in that part, like, but it was a, it was interdimensional, some of it. And so like, there's part of it that this book touches on both faith and sort of this quantum reality. And that's, that's what I'm struggling with right now is like, you're saying, did it happen before? But I'm like, maybe it's happening in different parallel versions, right? Like if we're asserting intention, maybe there's ways in which we can jump the script into a different, version you know maybe we could get off of this line and 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 skip over to one where you know the prison planet isn't run by your phone company you know if we set our intention in the right way so um yeah i i don't have like deep knowledge to say if it happened before but i do i think to me a lot of what's coming up with my framing around looking at agenda 21 and, and where i think sometimes people get <sighs> misdirected and it may be different for people who are outside the U S but a lot of people on the resistance side seem to lean into like our constitutional rights, not understanding that our country was essentially an empire that dispossessed all of the people who were here before who had a natural yes. relationship to their lands and that what we did to them was actually very similar to what we are facing with megacity regions and agenda 21 in terms of, you know, disrupting people's food access and el- making their cultural practice illegal and breaking up their families and confining them, like all of these things happen. So for me, I, I often look at the ghost dance, which is, was like a, um, in the 1880s, I believe in 90s. Um, I believe it was a Paiute man. He had a mystical experience about doing a dance that would essentially make the world back to before the, you know, colonists had showed up. Like it would somehow jump the time scheme and that it became, it was a peaceful protest. It was a protest that was grounded in in communal song and dance, a prayerful engagement. And then ultimately it ended up the Lakota, there was a mass murder at Wounded Knee of many elderly people and women and children that was horrific. And so it didn't end well, but I part of it is looking at that history, understanding like, it was the enclosure of empire on the North American continent and these people who had sort of were in the face of losing their existence and how did they react. And that even though that wasn't the outcome that you would have wanted, the very act of a peaceful, prayerful um, resistance movement was perceived of as almost the ultimate threat to U.S. empire. It was very interesting to me. So I'm kind of balancing these two books. Like one is sort of the the ghost dance history and then the other is this physics. And I feel like maybe there's tools of understanding what's going on in, in both places.
3: Yeah, I, 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 I great. Um, sorry.
1: <laughs> maybe that's <how> <laughs> so it. much. I don't so have much. like the esoteric, like there are people who have come into this who've spent their whole lifetimes, like literally for me, my background was like looking at LinkedIn's and webinars and World Bank videos. And it wasn't the other um, sort of more esoteric knowledges that people have, much deeper understanding of
3: so well the the reason why the reason why i brought that up is because you know the barcode when it came out the 666 that was on it Mm -hmm. um you know the two long lines at the beginning two in the middle and two at the end on every upc barcode each of those represents a six six and six i don't know if you knew that
1: no okay
3: okay every every little barcode do i have one here uh no um but anyway you know what i mean so, but that's something that's taken from the scripture, uh, the Bible. Uh, you know, the number of the beast should be 666. No man should be able to bind ourselves sell without the mark on his right hand or his forehead. And it's like we're getting to that. We can't buy or sell without the mark. And, you know, the, the patch, the new injection thing that they're going to be doing.
1: Yeah. It's all going
3: to be monitored. We won't be able to go into. Show- so sometimes I'm wondering this somebody have are are we like um are we raised and bred and then through generations were massaged into this and then we're harvested uh mm. meaning are are reduced in numbers something like that because when i was 6 years of age um or maybe 7 um i remember hearing they all these great medical cures and uh and you know we have to you know starving people you have to feed them and and i wasn't trying to be callous i said but if you if nobody gets sick anymore and nobody dies we're going to have too many people in the world and so you're taking away god or the spirit or the natural world to decide when you leave the world yeah because you we're trying to make everybody live forever and if you yeah. do that that's man's world and then somebody or Something will have to make the decision when you die. When, and when you live,
1: yeah.
3: And so this is why I'm saying there's a few other things, like just, just quickly, uh, in, in 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 Indra's net, uh, which was in the Eastern Police System, which was the interconnected whole, Indra's net. It sounds mm-hmm. like intranet. So there's well, a duplication just- of the natural internet which we have the connect you know the indians they be able to they go hunting they look at a star and you say if you get lost or something look at that star and i'll have a message there for you this 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 kind of connection to the world that that'll be all kind of gone so um, i realize we're getting short of time too but i can I, <laughs> so many things i want to talk about everything you said is just uh, fantastic the other thing is is the coding the captchas when you when you when you have to do they wonder if you're a robot they say, uh, see many uh traffic lights, check the ones that traffic lights. When you do that, that information, you're doing the teaching for the AI.
1: Yeah, right.
3: It's everywhere, is, is what I'm saying. And and when dead people they have a, a new thing, I think it's trust good or good trust, they can take all the files, digital stuff of people that have deceased, and then you can communicate with them as though they're alive.
1: Yeah, it's like that black mirror episode. Yeah, it's I
3: mean. Yeah, fiction and reality. are. Allison, do you have any comments on what I say? Uh, anything else? Or, or <laughs> I, I'm in agreement with you. And uh.
1: no, I mean it's interesting what you were saying about the natural world and the environmental movement, right? And that's, you know, within these impact markets, and that's something that like uh, Corey Morningstar and Wrong Kind of Green are very good at is the corporate environmentalism, right? And the data analytics. And so for me, this idea of data, you know, and I've I've talked about this from the poverty side is, do we really think that those in power would fix the problem if they just had more granular data, right? I mean, (laughs) we've been living in a data world for 20 years, right? Do they just need a little bit better data to fix the problem? Like that isn't actually true. And so as we're, you know, collecting this data, yeah, it's about one, replicating, but two, also creating e-waste and... Frequencies that will harm the real world, degrade the real world in favor of the simulation. Um, So, um, you know, in in understanding what we've done to wildlife management, I think that's very interesting because one of the individuals, I think his name is J.P. Pollock, who was with with the Commons Project and Common Pass, the geofencing. Um, He's worked in public health for a long time, but one of his projects was also wildlife like zoological tracking. And even it, within the vaccination world, right? It's both the livestock management, the wild animal population management, and then the people management. And so increasingly there is this blurred line with how we treat all of those populations, the things that we did to the great white sharks to track them all around and say like, oh, isn't it really cool? Now we can see like which, where our favorite shark is this week. Well, now that's us, right? Like, you know, it seemed kind of cool, you know, eight years ago or whatever, and now it's not so cool anymore. If you if you look at the ways in which the ostensible protection of the natural world is like, well, let's put up a whole bunch of wildlife cameras all through the forest so we can like see cool images of panthers, right, or whatever. And like now, well, good luck with that if you try to go hide out in the forest. Like the wildlife services put cameras up everywhere, and it's for you as much as the panthers. So. Um, you know it's some all of this stuff is sort of beware beginning it, it starts in one area and then it ends up much more like logan's run
3: <laughs> yeah logan's run now, there's nothing like the real world there's nothing like the real thing you can't you can't make a facsimile uh of nature can't no be done.
1: i believe can't that effects.
3: i believe that too because it's a whole spiritual dimension uh which i'd love to talk about but i know i know steve there's he's biting up a bit there too Ask you a few questions, Allison. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm
5: happy to listen, to be honest. I'm um, <laughs> like sort of mesmerized, you know. So, uh, Carl, are you done, or you want to ask another um, one? Or?
3: Yeah, I just I was aware of a time, and I didn't want to sort of cut you short, but I could go. You into, ask one more,
5: quick. <clears throat>
3: let's talk about the spiritual, you know, stuff. That the fact that it it can't be, you know, our bio. You're talking about water and the silicon. And, you know, I'm very interested in water. I'm also a homeopath as well, and I kind of did satellite water, and light and water. Um, water is a dynamic thing, and it, it is it seems to be everywhere life is. And so when you said that you made the distinction, the silicon and the water, and they're trying to substitute the water for the silicon, there it is again. Get rid of the life, yeah. the life aspect. Now I'm thinking of a virus. I hear it's been called something dead non-living, some people say it's alive, it's non-living, but it needs a host in order to replicate. And so I think these profane influences on humanity, they are the same thing, you know?
1: Well, it's interesting, yeah, Tom, Tom Cowan has talked a lot about the, the water particularly, and one of the questions I asked him, we, we had a, re- a conversation last week, was that I'm seeing in the nanotechnology space, Um, a lot of interest in using nanotechnology for ostensibly water purification. And, you know, I actually, I I, I spoke with someone lately, we have a pretty innovative water department here in in the city of Philadelphia. And I was like, well, are you guys talking about nanotechnologies? Anybody even aware of what they're talking about here? Because to me, if what you're talking about is is engineered particulates at a scale that are so small that they def- defy our current understanding of physics, and you let them loose in the water cycle, you know, as, as some solution. What are the implications of that? And then and then why would of all of the things that they're looking at, they're also looking at soil science. So Penn got a big grant from the NSF to put this stuff in the soil, um, but in the water because it's invisible ostensibly, like unless you have an electron microscope, you can't actually even see it. Um, You know, who has one of those lying around? Not many people, mostly the people who are working at the behest of these crazy powerful individuals. Um, What would it mean to have our water systems um, imbued with nanoelectronics, right? And, And within our living biological systems, not just our own, but like one of the the woman whose teachings I really appreciate, her name is Robin Wall Kimmerer, and she's a, a biologist at the SUNY Forestry School in New York. And her specialty is moss, and and water is a key part of the moss reproductive cycle. You know, and I remember like emailing her saying, like, Dr. Kimmerer, do you know? Did the moss people know about nano in the water cycle? Like, what are the implica- What are the spirit? Because she's also a citizen Potawatomi Nation, so she's coming at things from an indigenous scientific perspective, and um. No one even knows enough to start to have these conversations except for a very very small group of appointed people who are there to carry out this larger agenda um and you know i i've been very supportive around the issues around the pipelines and the fracking i mean there's part of me i'm like they're poisoning us on purpose they know yeah. that these fracking technologies that these pipelines are going to link they are literally poisoning the fresh water so that we will both be dependent on their engineered water supplies and to to make us sick, like to create toxic environments. And that really hit home in that Wharton um, at the University of Pennsylvania's business school is a key player in both impact investing and blockchain and gamification. And it's integrated with the health healthcare behavioral analytics. Like there's just a lot of really not good stuff at Wharton Business School. and. Um, When I went and I did a revocation of consent there as part of a a group, um, this uh, woman, uh, Isabella in the UK, she has this AVA magazine, like Women Earth Soul, and they had this cry of the mothers. And so I participated and I did this revocation of consent outside of Wharton Business School. And that the building was built maybe 15 years ago. It sort of looks like a big Death Star kind of building. And it was the Huntsman family that that funded that building. It's named after them. And they made their fortune. They're one of the richest families in Utah, which Salt Lake City is a center for a lot of this. And um, they made their money in chemicals, in plastic, in styrofoam specifically. And styrofoam, their early products were the clamshell for fast food containers. and Then they made all of this money and then they put their philanthropy into genomics research, right? So then they could Mm. do the decoding of the DNA, right? And it's the philanthropy, right, for cancer, right? But it's also that same technology is now pivoting into biotech, into Mm. reprogramming life. So you're looking at these verticals where you create profit off of poisoning people in the environment to create cancers, to create chronic illness, that then drive R&D, that can be leveraged to push this transhumanist ideology, right? And that's, once you understand that process, like the, the intentional poisoning um, of life, the crippling of life, not just to sell pharmaceutical products, but then to justify the genomic-based research that's going to unlock programming matter, will unlock life as a programmable product, a silicon-based programmable product, it's, it's really, dark, like like sitting with that. It's just really, really dark. I mean, it's beyond just we just don't care and we're going to make you sick. It's that we're actually going to leverage that into this larger um, agenda.
3: <clears throat> do, you, do you think technology, I, I played, what, what was it, the beginning of 2020, uh, about the middle of January, I looked up in the sky at about six o'clock in the evening. It was dark evening sun ago. And all these little dots, the uh, the Elon Musk satellites uh-huh. had gone up. And I could see them going across the sky, and I and I I called up all my friends because it was exactly six o'clock, and say hey, go outside, it's directly. Above. And I said to them, "Oh, that's the aliens uh, taking up their offensive position," jokingly.
0: Yeah. And I hung
3: up, and and it was somebody saying, "No, that's not funny." Um, <laughs> <laughs> so my question to you: So I played with the idea as technology because I'm a technologist. I that's what I did, at experimental physics, and then. Um, And I could see the way, see what's happening. So my question is, do you, well, I try to model technology as an alien, invasive predatory Mm. species. Yeah. And it's trying, the only way it can get is to have symbiosis with us. This is what my thinking was. But now I'm thinking it's to take over our biology. You know, if you want to build a robot, the the idea was you build a skeletal framework and then you add stuff onto it. But what they're doing it the other way around now, they're taking the biology, the the natural biology, Mm -hmm. and then adding all the stuff onto that and replacing bits and pieces here and there. And, um, you know, you you get hip implants, you get dental implants. These are all, but at what point does it then take over, you know, the technology where... So anyway, that's,
1: you can see that's not even the nano though,
3: right? That, that's not even the nano. I mean, the no. nano. Yeah. When you say nano, it's just, oh my God. Um, you know, the only reason why the, 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 the nanos can get into the, the cell with these new injections because of a lipid, uh, 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 a fatty coating on the outside, which was invented in 2013 or something like that. And that, that allowed them to get stuff into the cell. But the, the, whole, the whole thing is as though they hate nature they want to get rid of nature anything with nature so they have to go down to the very smallest thing down to the quantum level because you're dealing because you get down to the size of a virus you see you're not just dealing with particles you're dealing with energy phenomena and the physics the, energy, the laws of yes yes all the laws of physics change yes. gravity doesn't mean anything at that level but electrostatic forces or london forces all these quantum forces they all they all come. There's into like a plenty. different
1: universe down there.
3: A different universe. And the other thing, water is well able to cleanse itself. It's a magical substance. So the very fact they're just looking for some funding. Yeah, you know, the old days, if you wanted to get funding, you just had to put global warming on it somewhere in your proposal. Yeah. Now it's uh, you know, this this stuff, biotech. And you could see it all going for that. The demand the, the man to mars thing that Bush came out with. That was a dual purpose program to get into oh, the biology yeah. and technology. Yeah. It's all, it's always been like that. All these things, Star Wars, that was. Um, I mean, do you think uh, that
1: the people operating in the space, like what is their consciousness of what they're a part of? Like, that's what I, I always, I mean, I don't know that you can, I guess different people are in different spaces, but at one day, do you realize like, Oh, my whole career was actually like, you know, I, there's, there's a good a friend that I have in the education space. And she was working on anti-bullying and social emotional learning and all these things that are being weaponized but when she started, she didn't realize that, right? Like she didn't realize until really like the past yeah. five or six years. And then she's worked really hard to try to raise awareness. But they draw you in with things that sound really good. And then at some point, do some people awaken to what? Oh, I mean, I'm sure it's like that in the medical profession too. Like, oh, it's not what I thought.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, you have to get into it. Um, But yeah, the, the attitude, because I mean, I worked in the, um, what do you call it? Uh, Uh, military industrial complex Uh, Mm -hmm. what do you call these Uh, like Hughes Aircraft Martin Lockheed I'm not going to mention the particular one Um, you know um, and I would talk to people there and you know because I I went I started when I was young in my young 20s and I just wanted to get a job you know I was working on various sensors and, and it was only six months and I realized what some military application and I realized that the whole place was compartmentalized one group didn't know what the other did and I was saying you know and I was thinking if you really want to get things done there should be more communication (laughs) they don't want that (laughs) they don't want that and and it's like keep it part compartmentalized but when you talk to people uh you know you're building these things to weapons and stuff Uh, you know you're living in a nice place now and all this Oh, I'm doing it for America. I'm doing it for freedom. I'm doing it for the freedom of the world. You see, it's the programming comes in. So they're quite happy to create bombs or whatever it is, have someone else drop them, but they're, you know what I mean? And yeah. so it's this, I, I, I think the big thing is, is that humans have lost their sense of responsibility. You know, the soldier says I was only doing my job or something like that. I used to say, well, they had no choice. I say, no, that's not good enough. You, know. you were responsible for every action you do. and inaction. That's a hard one. I'm trying to live up to it. You know?
1: <laughs> I know. <laughs> and the thing I is, know, it's really it hard pleasure, when you but... start doing it and everyone around you is like, you changed. You cha- yeah, What happened yeah. to you? You And I'm like, I don't know, I left the cake. I mean, but once you do, how you don't unknow it. And then it's yeah. on your conscience. Like, to me, if you understand this as a spiritual engagement, if you understand that maybe... Like we're put here in a time to do, to meet some challenge, to be tested. And then, you know, I think very likely like there's something more than just this one lifetime, you know, like what happens if you fall back and you don't do the thing you're supposed to do? You just lame out, you know, like
3: yeah, we're, sorry, we're supposed I mean,
1: the- to try, you know, that's the thing, you tr- you know, you, you do your best with the, what you've got, I think. Knowing that yeah, we're I- gonna screw it up, but you keep trying.
3: Well I think that see that's the way of looking at the world we're being taught to look at the world purely a physical way and I'm trying to look at it in terms of energy and so when you when you look at the physical world it's like, oh Jesus, I'm outnumbered it's too much for me I can't do it You get overwhelmed but an energy point of view you think in terms of resonance. you say i just have to make my i just have to be truly who I am and let that resonate and that'll attract and reject things outside me. And I will, I will have the enthusiasm because I'm connect, I'm not worried about, I'm not worried about the consequences of who I am that way, and I'm not overwhelmed when you come from a point of source and energy. Um, I mean, I'm I also have found that it. Yeah. Is
1: it if you walk and from a place of authenticity as best you can. Not saying any of us are perfect, but you, you, yeah. people f- come to you like with gifts, like we, like this gift of this space, this community. Like it's way more than what any normal, like 50 year old, <laughs> like in normal times, would get. Like, I mean, I might be planning a camping trip or something, but it's not deep, it's not intense, it's not, um, like there is a it hasn't been. I mean, even though it's really in, hard to hold all of this information, I've learned so much, I'm so much more engaged in like the world or understanding it or figuring it out, not from a place of like shock and horror, but that the people that I've connected with help make the world so much better, like so much richer and have so much more depth than it would be if I wasn't on this road. So, um, you know, and to me, that's the intent, like you talk about, I do think it's energy and I don't have any skill sets in any of this. So I I feel like, like I'm sort of muddling around. But when I, I I gave a speech in New York City um, last month, as part of this worldwide Freedom Day. And it was at Union Square Park, which is like their site of their sort of uh, labor protests from the early 20th century. And at the end, it was at the end of the park. It wasn't a giant one, but it was a nice crowd. And I looked and there was this terrifying building at the end of the park that was, it was part of a high rise development, but this facade was maybe six, seven stories and it was called the Metronome. And it had a portal in the top, like towards the upper three quarters of the building, a portal and rings, 36 rippled. It was masonry. And this it's vertical on this vertical face, 36 rings from this portal and a big stone on it, like that interrupted the waves. And there was gold flecks all around the portal. And above it was this hand. And it was a upscaling of George Washington's hand from this equestrian statue that faced the park facing it and smoke would come out of this portal, right? And this was designed in 1999 as an art project. And then on this horizontal part of the facade, there were 11 windows, LED windows that used to be the atomic clock counting down. It was about time, but then last September it changed to the carbon budget countdown. So it was like the countdown on carbon based life. And then over on the other side was this small golden ball that was the lunar cycle. Right, so there's this, and and you know, in the boulder there was like this long bronze line that sort of evoked a metronome, like this timekeeping. But it was frequency. It was definitely, and and the guy who's was part of it is is part of climate impact investing and affordable housing impact investing, and is a, a major operative in the New York City real estate market. But they know, like I think that the people who are running this game have access to knowledges that are not in the public realm like I, and i i think that they they know and that they are manipulating those things but that the the putting your intention out and that's what's interesting even in this moonshot paper i was looking about brain machine interfaces yesterday and they said because i think a lot of the work that's being done now around executive function and consciousness and mindfulness is like mental training and i think some of the meditation people are going to be going off on the wrong road like the, the, the mental discipline to work the brain machine interfaces with this these distance robotics, these telepresence robotics. Because they talk specifically in the section about intention, navigating mental intention. So I intention. think that the intention, like positive intention and being able to exercise that maybe less from a mind space but from a heart space, from a faith space intention vibrationally will make, will help advance the cause of life, I think. And, and in part of this, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but I've, I'm, I had this vision and I think this is the serendipity of life. Like this is the stuff that doesn't show up in the computer program. Like one day I was like, cause I, I work at a public garden, you know, my other part of the time, I normally not spend a ton of time. I'm not a horticulturalist. I do office work, but I've been on the land more. And I was like, in this was even like before it was, they were really out and about, but dandelions. And I'm like, the answer is dandelions, like the dandelions. And it's the medicinal property, um, they're, they get in the cracks, they transform their spaces, they have the sun and the moon cycle. And Theseus um, was fed by Hecate for 30 days on dandelion greens before he fought the Minotaur, which is Wall Street. And so I'm going all over New York City, I'm trying to sort of set up these interventions, these intentions, against the predator financial class um, where we use dandelions to express like a transmutation of energy against revoking consent for their plan and asserting what we actually want for life. And so we did our first one on Easter Sunday outside the council on foreign relations (laughs) on park Avenue. And we had 25 people and it was just, it just happened. It just happened. And it was beautiful A beautiful, diverse, group of people coming from this place of love saying, this is not the world we want. We want this other, we want a world of right relationship. And um, and that's the stuff that doesn't get written into the simulation, right? Like Alison says, Danny Lyons, like I just got a big box from Seattle. Um, oh, here, here's the, the gentleman, he wrote me a, a letter. Uh, Carmine Vincenzo in Seattle sent me a nice big box of dandelions, and you know we're going to go up against the New York Federal Reserve. Um, you know, I think in a few weeks, and and I you know I want to steep the dandelions and scrub the steps of those. I want to put an energetic situation on these places, these physical places, because I think it penetrates. I think there's something more.
3: Yeah, when you say that, I mean I have a, um, a friend, a homeopath, and he does all kinds of very strange esoteric things. And he was going down near the forecourts with the big kind of legal center here. And the River Liffey goes by it. And he was, he was making up these remedies and he was dropping them in the water. And the water would start to gurgle, he was telling me, and to change the energy of the places. And, and it would. He, he does beekeeping, and agrohomeopathy and all this kind of stuff. It's just that. But you're saying dandelions. I just drove across the country here and uh, dandelions all along the side. I was going, this is just so beautiful. And then and now I'm in Dublin, and I just did some driving on the, the freeway type and stuff. And the guys are mowing all the dandelions and the guys with the spray. Oh. And I'm going, This is nature, but it's celebrating. It's the plants are coming out to celebrate the year. Yeah. And here we are. We should celebrate it. And you look at humanity, we have all these celebrations, you know. And here, what has happened to the world, as soon as it comes out to celebrate, they've hired these guys to spray them with chemicals and to mow them down. I leave, leave, leave the daisies and the dandelions alone, you know? Um, but that goes back to a thing in the old days, I think in the 17th century, to show that you had power and dominion over nature. The super rich, they'd have all their lawns manicured. they no weeds. That was to show their power and domain and control. Yeah. So... Um, I don't think I'm going to mow my lawn anymore. <laughs> 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 Just plant wildflowers. Like
1: the pollinators, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, do it for the pollinators. A bunch of butter, wild indigenous seed. I've been it all over the place, too. So, um, Allison, I can keep going. Steve, how are you doing, man? Steve?
5: It's late. <laughs> um, so, I know we've been going Thanks, for an hour Allison. and a half. That was how long are we are going to go. Are we going longer?
3: Well, did you want to get a question or how's Allison doing? Sure. Or do you
1: want to- I'm good. I don't
5: um uh, okay. Well, uh, you know, you talk about leaving the cave, and I think we all have left the cave. I'm, sometimes I'm sorry I have. So um I guess I'll a lot of my questions were answered, but I'll bring it more to like a financial putting a little meat on the bone to understand impact finance a little bit because mm-hmm. um, you know, Michael Milken is Tied to kinder care, yeah. and yeah. he was the primary cause of the savings and loan crisis, so How he's do you know that? I just know it
1: that's amazing. not many people know that
5: yeah, I thought I heard
3: and, it on the news today, but anyway okay oh, uh, he
5: uh, he's obviously a luciferian and part of the whole predator um, energy and i'm not this isn't about uh him but in order to understand impact financing, is it sort of like the way they turned, you know, the way they created the savings and loan crisis and the way they created the um, junk bonds to, um, you know, the, the mortgage, the junk mortgages, I forget what they were called now. Um, mortgage, uh, whatever the 2008 mortgage there was, um, uh, the securitized mortgages where they just dumped all these different mortgages in um, and they securitized them and then people bought them. And, you know, if... Is the impact financing sort of like you have poor kids and in a, are they, do they want this to work? Do they want like, you know, a, a guy's going to come along and say, look, we have this package of kids and this one's a real shiner. You know, he <laughs> he's going to, it's like a stock going from zero to a hundred, you know, he should get in now. Is it, is it that kind of thing? Is it that insidious?
1: So we're at the point that they have been doing a lot of test pilots for the past, you know, eight to ten years, they started out with something called social impact bonds, and that the uh, catalyzer of that, his name is Sir Ronald Cohen. And um, I will I will just mention my my friend Raúl Diego, who writes for Mint Press, has a really good feature article on Ronald Cohen that came out last week. Um, so I would I would highly recommend people look up this history because he was the father of British venture capital and a Harvard MBA. And so he took like the lottery money and the unclaimed banking account money and he leveraged the creation of these social impact bonds. The first one was called the Peterborough Social Impact Bond. Um, and it was predicated, all of it is predicated on framing people as a deficit and putting a, a cost on fixing them. So for the Peterborough uh, prison one, it was the cost of if someone reoffended and ended up in prison again. again. Now, none of these things look at the structural problems. They frame everything as individual responsibility, which certainly it's some combination of both people's personal choices and then the economic structures in which they're situated, particularly as we're moving into a post-human automated fourth industrial revolution (laughs) version. It's very hard to navigate that successfully as a natural human being. So Peterborough prison was the first one. Michael Bloomberg then brought them this concept to the United States and Rikers Island uh, prison was the next one that was in the United States and it was focused on incarcerated youth. But then they said, okay, we're gonna do go bigger. We're gonna start to fund pre-K which is where the kinder care Michael Milken stuff gets in. And so what they do is they hire esteemed academics to create ostensibly economic equations that justify a cost offset. And so the framing is that you use data analytics to predictively profile someone as a cost burden on society, whether that, that prediction is that they will cost society because they are unhealthy because, physically or mentally, or that they will be involved in the justice system, or that they will be unemployed or depressed or various things. And that there's money to be made if you predictively profile someone into that, even if it hasn't actually happened yet. And that's where I'm talking about the simulation, whether it's a viral model simulation or a social simulation, what is real, right? They've already profiled toddlers to be, uh, people who are addicted, depressed and unemployed, right? Well, what does that cost? Now those kids haven't had that happen yet, but they'll say, well, based on your genomics and your parents and your zip code, that's definitely gonna happen to you. Let's fix you in advance. And this is where it's a game. And I've, I've talked about that. I have a couple interviews, one with um, Bonnie Faulkner of Guns and Butter and, and a couple with Tom Cowan about this game and Joseph. It's a made up game, but like the mortgages, It doesn't make sense in any logical model unless what you're about is creating debt instruments. And that's all this is. It's about creating a new debt instrument to move their capital. Mm -hmm. And so the academics play their role because they make an equation. So for the pre-K program, the equation they use for early childhood, which isn't just preschool, it also goes all the way back to prenatal care and home visits. And that's important because right now Cory Booker is advancing, has been quite a number of times something called the momnibus legislation so an omnibus but it's for uh, health disparities for black women so they frame something that is a true concern and then they're going to repackage it as predictively profiling uh, black women's health outcomes so that they can put them under extreme data surveillance and behavioral surveillance so they're going to surveil their pregnancies to create impact markets. Um, they're surveilling toddlers on surveillance play tables. You can look up something called um, Hatch Education We Play Smart Tables, where they've got fisheye lens cameras to um, track and score the social behaviors of toddlers, like kids on, in Head Start funded you know, government funded pre-K programs and grade their social capital. Um, And that's, so Jim Heckman out of the University of Chicago uh, created this Heckman equation and he's funded by Soros. Soros is very active in the UK. He has set up at Oxford, you know, and um, it's also J.B. Pritzker, who's the governor of Illinois. And they're like, you know, we're going to just grade this human capital and this idea that we can profile them as a burden, insert our evidence-based data-driven intervention that allows us to also put them under surveillance, um, and social control mechanisms. and then we can manipulate and fudge the data. However, it will work well for our financial investors, namely Goldman Sachs, the Vatican Bank, Softbank, UBS Insur- you know UBS Bank, QB insurance, all you know all of these companies. They'll structure the d- the data analytics to work for their game, which might mean if you're doing a social impact finance deal around addiction that someone has um, clean scans for like 60 days. Right. Well, we know that that's not necessarily a long term indicator of their success or well-being. But for the data analytics dashboard, it's enough to check the box that gives Goldman Sachs the money. Um, And what's really treacherous is for the pre-K space. What Heckman said was um, we can't really change cognitive data on these kids because IQ, you know, and even if you thought IQ was legitimate, IQ hardens up around the age of like eight to ten. And that doesn't move for hedge funds. He doesn't say that, but like he's like, that hardens up, not a good number um, because the derivatives markets need movement. What we can change is character. So these big five ocean traits, um, they're going to essentially brainwash toddlers and make them respond how they want them to respond using digital technologies for financial markets. Now, the crazy thing is, is like in this game, it's almost like you put someone on a pathway. You say, okay, based on our data analytics, um, we think this is going to happen to you. We're going to assign you a social worker, uh, you know, a navigator. That's what they call them. We're going to give you a navigator. That's going to give you all of these things that you have to do to fix yourself with all of our evidence based programs. And now with wearable technology and ICT technology and all these things, we'll know if you did them. And maybe even biosensors, right? Well, will know if you're meeting your standards. And if you do, then the nonprofit gets paid and the investor gets paid. And so essentially, in my mind, at the time, before I really understood the transhumanist layer, like the digital twinning layer, was that while they were automating the world and handing all our jobs to the robots or the algorithms, you need to keep people really busy so that they can't revolt. <laughs> Like what you need to do is you need to say you're not going to eat like your retinal scan on your smart doorbell for your affordable housing isn't going to work unless you've demonstrated compliance to your pathway. You're not your smart refrigerator isn't going to open up your um, food assistance benefit voucher isn't going to work, you know, unless you meet your Fitbit step counts. It's all automated all becomes part of this machine. So people are just chasing in the game the maze of doing everything that they're told as they're creating this digital simulated world and the robots take over like meaningful work because if the robots were doing that and people were of their own mind to like sit in a park or go, you know, go meet somewhere in a church basement or something and organize and say, well, this is a crappy situation. What are we going to do about it? Let's get together and figure out a a better option for what Mm -hmm. human life looks like that would cause problems for them. So they need to isolate people under surveillance and keep them really busy while this all happens. And they need for people to be, you know, so traumatized, mentally traumatized, like, cause this is all, this whole program has been about like protracted manufactured trauma that they can't get out from under it. And, and that's sort of where we're at. Not that I think it can't be pivoted, but that's what the human capital finance is. It's to create these debt instruments to gamble, to impose the surveillance, but then to also use that data analytics to build the virtual world simulation at the same time.
5: Crazy. And the way kids are, they take to phones and tablets, they're they're just gonna think this is the way the world is. And they're going to be yes. duped into that too. So, uh, you know, I mean, just a lot of time- look, there's like a website yeah. called
1: curious learning and that's, you know, when I was looking at, they're doing dyslexia screening in California compulsory dyslexia screening, but it's not about helping dyslexic kids read. It's mm-hmm. about getting them on literacy apps and this curious learning. It all went back to MIT media lab and the military industrial complex and curious learning with, um, uh, what's his name? Gabrielli. I think it's John Gabrielli as the one brother. Um, it's this little boy, like literally, I mean, it's the most depressing thing on their homepage. It's a little like three or four-year-old boy sitting on a dirt pile with a phone in a meadow. Like he could be playing in this meadow. He could be with friends. They could be actually, you know, hitting sticks or do I poking stuff. I don't know, whatever. But he's on by himself on a phone on this dirt hill. And that's the future if we don't refuse it. That's and the school. thing about Milken is that he's with blockchain. He's very far advanced with blockchain, and he has an institute in Jerusalem because, again, um, Israel is a big part of this. Um, you know, they're they're pivoting their. Um, I, I've done a couple of webinars with Shai Danon about this, but their um, smart uh, startup nation is pivoting to social impact. And um, you know, in the process, they're also very high end with biotech and nanotech and surveillance tech. And, and again, it's not just Israel; it's fluid. U.S., U.K., Israel—like they're all building this stuff. Mm. Um, but he has a, the the Milken Institute in Jerusalem is a key element. And you know, they're advancing Israel as like one of the key transhumanist um, countries. They're saying like Israel will be a leader in transhumanism.
5: It's just crazy how they—they're just everywhere. They, there's this. Predator force is covered every angle. It's just, you know, a, a kind of, it's sort of on the same thing. It's, it's getting to, if this predator Luciferian global cancer gets what they want, and let's just say, I don't know, uh, the, the World Economic Forum map or whatever that they want uh, with genetically modifying humans and they control it and people are connected to the cloud and there's this impact financing that, I don't know, is replacing something but people are making money Does this mean the stock market crashes and they take everyone they take everyone's houses or does this mean um, you know we avoid a collapse or they want the collapse still?
1: I mean I guess it's you know I don't I don't know that it, this version has ever happened before so it's hard to say exactly how it's gonna play out I mean I think, The goal will be um, like wiping out people's pensions and 401ks and this idea that they have a a cushion, like if you had that to begin with, which a lot of people don't, Um, you know, the wealth is already so concentrated. I feel like the human capital bond project is is almost like, you know, these select elite players are sitting, you know, in a back room of a speakeasy with this like invitation only poker game where they're trading amongst each other like their debt and who's up and who's down. But you, you're not getting in in on that game. It's it's a very exclusive game of people who are billionaires many times over that are, are playing this or representatives of these funds. And I, w- I would encourage people. You know, there a lot of people hedge and they say, well, I don't know who's doing this or I don't know, like who Mr. Global is or I don't know, like it's too hard to pin down. And what I would say is this channeling of global capital through human life and the financialization, financialization of nature is happening through the impact management project. It is very specific. That's two thousand of the world's largest asset holders. And some of that is probably if you have a pension, it could be your pension fund is one of those 2000, right? Like, so we're indirectly implicated, but it's not like we don't know. It is them, <laughs> you know, it is those those folks who are connected to the yeah. UN sustainable development goals and, and these data analytics. Um, so my question about the housing, you know, I'm in the city, They're still infilling a lot of, there's gentrification happening. Uh, most of the housing stock is, you know, and I love my city. Like some people hate cities, I actually love Phil. I love what Philadelphia was. You know, I I don't know if it's going to ever get back there again. Um, I love dense, interesting, messy, serendipity kind of place. Like that was my city. But they're gentrifying and they're infilling with a lot of housing that looks semi disposable. We have ten year tax abatements for new construction. Some of this stuff I don't even know will last ten years, right? They're throwing up prefab housing with like metal, like, it, they're just, it's just, like, includes space. Is, and is I don't that, know who's looking so anticipating
5: to buy them. An, Is that anticipating an increase in poverty or an increase in the population?
1: Well, I mean, the, the goal of Agenda 21 is megacity regions, right? I mean, that's what wow. they've always said, is okay. that it's depopulating rural areas and pushing people into that's cities, good. which, again, I'm not someone who says, I want to run away and I hate my city. I actually love my city. I don't want to live in a militarized, smart city. Like, you know, like the TRADOC, the, you know, the military, like they have a whole mad scientist division where they talk about mega city urban warfare, you know, like, so none of this is really hidden. Like, you know, they talk about having one mile wide, you know, bands of green that will be your parks and your urban forests, food forests, right? so that they can like use that as military, you know, op zones when needed, you know, to organize their their corridors for their military operations through the megacities. So like they say exactly what it is that they're planning on doing. Again, can they do it? I don't know if they can do it, but they, they have ideas about what they wanna do. So yeah. I guess my question is, like, the, in in the U.S., the largest private rental owner is Blackstone. That's Steven Schwartzman, who's a key figure. Again, he grew up outside of Philly, along with, um, you know, um, Netanyahu, and you know, like, we have a lot of stuff going on in Philadelphia. And you know, he runs Blackstone, and they're the largest private housing provider. And the United Nations, um, you know, sent a special little letter to him a while ago saying, well, you know, Blackstone is a kind of a a crappy landlord and you guys do really predatory things about how you do, you know, how you manage your properties and how you're really bad to people. So maybe you should clean up your act a little wink, wink and get into affordable housing, you know? And so it's sort of like, I can see where this is going with this. You know, you will own nothing and be happy is that this housing stock will be sort of at will based on your behavioral compliance. And like, maybe it's all run through Blackstone or maybe Blackstone sets up a DAO housing, affordable housing component. And you know, whether or not you can get in your, 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 ring doorbell lets you back in the house with your retinal scan depends on what you did that day. Now, can they, and then I foresee a lot of this smarting up of housing because we have a lot of historic housing stock in our city. I mean, my house is 1885. Um, it's going to take a bit to get smarted up and then there'll be a whole bunch of reskilling where the people who are dispossessed from their jobs will be tr- trained in the trades. And then the organized labor will all be on board because all of the, the telecoms and the construction labor will do smart in the other electricians unions will all be like, hey, yeah, like that's great. Like we have more people to come and like smart up our housing and put in smart televisions and smart, you know, lead certified this, that and the other that'll be your, your house will be your surveillance pod. And, you know, Can I say for sure that's going to happen? I I don't, but that's how I see it rolling out is that and then they create verticals in the workforce reskilling for the smart trades. Um, And that's already happening when we talk about securitization. So um, Phil Murphy, who's the governor of New Jersey, former Goldman Sachs, he was doing um, with social finance, which is Ronald Cohen, uh, career impact bonds to reskill people who've been pushed out of their work. And these uh, smart impact career impact bonds, your careers are um, coding, so coding boot camps, pharma, so transhumanism, or uh, energy sector to power the smart cities. Those are the the three, and they've already that's going through something called Edly, which is an online platform to securitize income sharing agreements, which is what these income sharing. Um, uh, career impact bonds are income sharing agreements. Edley is connected to Christopher Riccardi, who is the grandfather of collateralized debt obligations. Folks, this is not hidden.
5: <laughs> <And> they're going <laughs> to the you know, securitize going after all of the retraining and... debt. Yeah. I mean,
1: <laughs> you know, it's not hidden. It's not, it does not, take, yeah, I'm not that a... smart. I'm just a mom, hmm. you know, yeah. but like I can look at the things and go, well, that's not going to go well.
5: Yeah. I'm just, like, my general question is, you know, we're kind of wrapping up here, is just, you know, is the way of life of, you know, going to college, getting a job, working your way up the ladder and raising a family and, and I mean, and having a family and actually having a mother that gives birth to a child, is that even, I know they want to destroy all that. So I'm just wondering if 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 it's the end of all that or somehow they just get more control and that continues with technocratic control, but it still kind of looks like, the way it's been, or not a chance?
1: I mean, like I said, I want to hold out hope that they are overstretching, that this stuff is going to fall apart, that people will understand that this is not the way they want to live. And I think it will be a lead time into this, right? Like it, for the short version, it will be your life on QR codes, right? It's not gonna be graphene hydrogel right off for everybody right off the bat. Like it's it's a, it's, a, it's a gradual transition. And then the question is, can we catalyze enough awareness about this larger program? Can we make it clear to people that this is a, not a threat that should be easily dismissed because of the people who are behind it? Um, and to get people to not wanna be, live in the Silicon world. I mean, and it's hard cause right? Like last two hours we've been in the Silicon world. Like, you know, we're all gonna have super good digital twins when that time comes. Cause like if you guys are on here three times a week. There's gonna be a lot of granular data on y'all. So um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's this psychic, um, you know, it, it feels like we're sort of in this mystical yeah. thing and some days are better than others. It's, I, I think, I want to make it clear. I don't think it's going to be seamless or beautiful or work. Well, people are like, oh, no, the ai it's all crap. And I'm like, yeah, no, I think it is all crap. But if what they do is take away all the other options and use their automated policing and, you know, these these other digital currency systems to make your life miserable, it doesn't have to be a gleaming, seamless 21st century smart city. It will probably be ugly and lurchy and trashing and broken most of the time. And people will just be miserable. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but but we can say no, right? Like I still think we could say yeah. no. And that's what I'm, I'm trying to do know. is to get people to say no.
5: I'm with you. And you know, I saw there was uh 3 days ago there was a protest or there was a a walk for humanity you might call it. And um it dawned on me that you said, you know, love and and uh connection and stuff like that is important. And and when I feel trodden by the invisible oppression, um that video, when I watched it, it was like, it lifted me up and it made me just because I felt connected to all those people. And that, that resumed my It kind of reminded myself of how powerful I am. And it was a good reminder. And that's important. We are powerful. Yeah. So thank you really a lot. I mean, we've been on long, so I'm going to pass you to Grace.
1: I I could
5: ask a lot more questions, but you know, another time.
1: All good, Grace.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Allison. And uh, yes, um, there were viewers from uh, Connecticut, and they're doing a protest in Connecticut for they're trying to protect the religious exemption for the children's vaccination be kept. So, as we are doing this, other people are are doing their boots on the ground and in in Connecticut. So we'll just all contribute to this movement and to this energy. And yes, uh, we all feel hopeful and we just pursue and pursue. Anything more, Alison, you want to, uh, other than the wrench in the gears, uh, anything that you want to share to the public? Tell them about your telegram because that's
1: really awesome. Oh, yeah. I don't even know what I'm so bad at cross promoting. If you go to my YouTube channel, I have a, if you look up Allison McDowell YouTube, there, there's a little video that has the link to my telegram on there. I will just say, too, on the, the, about the religious exemption, about this idea of the passports, I want to emphasize they're very good at framing things linguistically to advantage themselves, right? And so what I'm trying to say is those people who are um, taking up positions around, Uh, biometric based geofencing, which is really what this is, this is, this is geofencing systems that will be based on someone's uh, perceived uh, data, bioinformatic data analytics, like we need to actually start calling it for what it is, because in the end, it's not going to be about an injection, it's going to be about the biosensor data, right? And so if we, if we frame our um, opposition around the immediate thing that we're struggling against. we're going to have to recreate it all once they say, oh we're not doing those anymore that's so yesterday. we've moved on to this other thing. So we actually need to understand that it's it's less like the Excelsior pass, the Green pass, these past systems, it is about um, uh, biometric geofencing. That is ultimately what it's about that opens the gateway to um, digital cash digital benefit assistance that will be linked to impact markets. And if I could get the health defense community, the people who are standing against these exemptions and and to understand the larger context, that would be amazing because they're very organized. But I think for the most part, people are just still um, responding to immediate concerns and they don't have the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that real-time data analytics geofencing.
0: Thank you. Um, you know, I'll be your contact for any kind of no. grassroots community. I already emailed you. I can always bring you to New Jersey movement. I know. I want to come up. I want to come up. Yes, please do so. And uh, to, um, uh, to all the viewers, we will upload this in uh, a shoot. We will upload this in Rumble and hopefully in YouTube. And since there are a number of us you know, having our accounts, so we will spread all this information so we could spread all the inspiration and really take our our global thinking to local movements. Okay, so marvelous and thanks to everyone. And Alison, keep going. Thank you. you
1: Thanks for your much. time, everybody. Thanks, Alison. Really Thank thanks,
2: Alison. Thank you.
0: All right. Bye-bye.